0: When you were growing up and you went to visit your grandparents, they probably had a cabinet in the lounge room or in the dining room in which there was a collection of fine china, Uh, perhaps a tea set or a crockery set, and uh, it was rarely, if ever, used. Uh, Maybe some of you have a collection like this in a display cabinet at your place and you can't remember the last time you actually used it. Maybe you never have. (laughs) My parents had a set like this. My memory is a bit hazy, uh, but I think it was white with some kind of blue pattern and it had a gold trim around the edges of the plates and the saucers. And I can only remember two occasions when it was used in all of my childhood. Uh, We also had a a better quality cutlery set. And when we had guests, the question would be asked, are we going to use the nice cutlery? Now I don't know if this is still a common practice but uh, many homes used to have a nice set of crockery for special occasions and a set of ordinary crockery cups and bowls and plates for uh, everyday use. Uh, The plate you used at lunchtime today probably wasn't that special. It probably came from Kmart or Big W and you probably didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, You probably didn't think to yourself, Oh, this is a really nice plate. Now, what fine craftsmanship. Now, in the normal course of our week, we don't usually make much of our crockery. It's functional. It serves a necessary purpose, and that's about it. But The Apostle Paul talks about this kind of thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look, please, if you would, at verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It's The verse says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. For our purposes this evening, I'm not interested in the argument Paul is making in this passage. I just want us to see the picture. I mean, there's the good crockery, the fancy stuff, vessels made of gold and silver. And then there's the ordinary crockery, the vessels made of wood and earth, that is clay. And every great house has both. One of the most common artefacts of the ancient world that fills museums today are these vessels made of earth, or at least pieces of them, called ostraca. Uh, Just as every home today has pots and pans and plastic containers, so every home in ancient Greece or ancient Israel had vessels made of clay, Uh, vessels for storing oil and grain, vessels for storing water and wine, uh, vessels for cooking in and washing in. Uh, Pottery was the Tupperware of the ancient world. Now a tiny fraction of that pottery was exquisitely decorated, and we've actually learned a lot about ancient Greek society from the paintings that are found on some of these objects. But the vast majority of the pots and jars that were ever manufactured were not works of art. They were purely functional, just like the bowl you ate your cereal out of this morning. And it's sort of ironic that today these are museum pieces when they're really the equivalent of a milk carton or a tin can. Now, a vessel made of earth, a clay pot or jar, was ordinary. That's what we're supposed to see in this verse. This household object wasn't anything special. Now, there is only one other reference in the New Testament to vessels made of earth. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Please, if you would, turn over there now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we looked at a verse in this chapter a couple of weeks ago in our morning service, and uh, I want to consider another verse in this chapter tonight. Verse 7. The Apostle says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We'll talk about the treasure in a moment, but I want to begin with the earthen vessel, the jar made of clay. Paul has something, a treasure. And the truth of the matter is that it's a treasure in a clay pot. It's not in a lavishly decorated chest, it's not set in an exquisitely crafted frame. No, it's in the kind of pot that you stored your grain in. Uh, it's in the kind of jar that you filled with water to wash your feet with when you came in the door. There's, there's nothing special about about that which the treasure is in. Now, Paul is saying something about himself, about his ministry associates, and really about all the apostles. He's saying we are ordinary people. There is nothing special about us, which to us might sound a bit strange because we hold Paul and the other apostles in such high esteem. They are the superstars of the Christian faith. We think of their experiences with Jesus. We think of their preaching. We think of the miracles that some of them performed. We think of the role they played in founding the church. We think of the books of the Bible they wrote. If if the Apostles are anything in the house, surely it's the expensive Italian leather lounge suite or the 80-inch 4K television. Or if it has to be crockery, then surely the Apostles are the 15-piece Wedgwood Hummingbird tea set, which you can buy at Harrods for $6,357. But no. Paul says, we're just clay pots. Containers from Kmart. There's nothing special about us. Now we know that the other apostles were not highly educated people. They were mostly working class men from Galilee. Four of them were fishermen. So perhaps the analogy fits. Uh, There was nothing particularly impressive about John or Andrew or Bartholomew. But Paul, well, he was a brilliant man, he was highly educated. He probably spoke and wrote several languages. He was perhaps the finest mind of the first century, apart from our Lord. He is unquestionably the greatest Christian theologian of all time, and he penned about 30% of the New Testament, more if you include the book of Hebrews. And yet this is how he saw himself. I'm an earthen vessel. There's nothing special about me. And this wasn't false humility, this was the truth. As the saying goes, even the best of men are only men at best. Paul and the other apostles were weak and flawed and limited. They struggled and they suffered and they made mistakes. They knew they were sinners saved by grace. They knew they were simply servants upheld and strengthened by their master's kindness. And this is the first lesson for our hearts this evening. This is what we are. We're we're jars made of clay. We're containers from Kmart. That's it. That's the truth. Now I realise that most of us have no problem confessing this about ourselves. We're very aware of our ordinariness. We're very aware of our weaknesses and our limitations. We don't think of ourselves as being impressive people. But even so, none of us are immune from the temptation to become proud. Proud of our intellect. Proud of our education and our achievements. Proud of our commitment. Perhaps some of us are tempted to become proud when it comes to our physique and our appearance. And when this happens... When we start to think that we're more than earthen vessels, we inevitably make three very damaging mistakes. Number one, we begin to think we don't need God as much as we really do. Number two, we begin to think that God needs us when he really doesn't. Number three, we begin to think that his work in this world is about us when it's really about him. I'll say that again. When we start to think that we're more than earthen vessels, we inevitably make three very damaging mistakes. Number one, we begin to think we don't need God as much as we really do. Number two, we begin to think that God needs us when he really doesn't. And number three, we begin to think that his work in this world is about us, when it's really about him. In the context of gospel ministry, these mistakes are so harmful And this has been demonstrated time and again in the evangelical church over the last few decades. When pastors and ministry leaders think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, when they think they're more than just a clay pot, they start to believe they can do their own thing. That the customs and practices that have long safeguarded Christian ministry are not necessary for them. And they begin to think that they are entitled to a slice of the admiration and the praise and the glory. Now sure, Jesus can have most of it, but these people often feel entitled to some of it. If they can grow their influence and their following and their wealth at the same time as serving Jesus, well that's great. And when this happens, when self is injected into gospel ministry, leaders fall, usually morally. People are mistreated, fellowship is strained, there is division, the works of the flesh are unleashed and Christ's precious lambs are wounded. And this has happened in churches and in ministries that we've all heard of and it happens in little churches like ours that no one has heard of. whether we are the preacher in the pulpit or the volunteer in Sunday school or the person setting up the tables for morning tea we must not become proud we must remember what we are that we're jars made of clay and it's actually a remarkable act of divine grace that he uses us to bring to pass his purposes for this world that he uses us to advance his kingdom and that leads us nicely to the next thing I want us to concentrate on, and that is the treasure. The clay jar, now the treasure. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now what is it? What exactly did Paul and his associates have? Well, look back at verse 6. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, This is it. Okay, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us how he came to possess it. Okay, God... Who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That's a reference to creation. Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, you know, let there be light. And there was light. God who did this. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, Paul says, hath shined in our hearts. We were living in darkness, the darkness of sin. We were, we were spiritually blind, and God shined His light upon us. He shined His light into us, into our hearts, in order to do what? What does the verse say? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That expression, to give the light, means to enlighten or to illuminate. Now, when a a light shines in a dark room, the room is illuminated. You can see what's there. That's the idea here. Paul says that God shone his light into our hearts to illuminate for us the knowledge of his glory. And where is that seen? Where is the knowledge of God's glory to be found? In the face of Jesus Christ. And what does this call to mind? And I think of the transfiguration, don't you? <laughs> what did the disciples see? The glory of God. Where? Shining forth out of Jesus. God's glory, which is the manifestation of his perfections, is seen in Jesus Christ, in the mystery of his person, and in his wonderful works. And isn't this what the writer to the Hebrews tells us in the opening lines of his epistle? God, in these last days, hath spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being what? Who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. To see Jesus, to know Jesus, is to see and to know the glory of God. To know who God is and what he is like. Now if you feel a little bit lost in all of this theology, let me put it really simply. In verse 6, Paul is saying something like this. God shone his light into our hearts so that we could see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, we came to know God and his glory. I'll say it again. God shone his light into our hearts so that we could see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, we came to know God and his glory. And this is the treasure this knowledge Paul came to possess it because God gave it to him God opened the eyes of his heart to see, God illumined his understanding and and thinking of Paul for a moment, it really was this kind of experience a blinding light from heaven a light that arrested him, a, a revelation of Jesus Christ that saved him and changed his life completely He came to know the glory of God in Jesus Christ in an amazing way. And brothers and sisters, this is a treasure. This is the most precious and the most powerful knowledge a person can possess. To use Jesus' words in John chapter 17, to know God and to know his son Jesus Christ is life eternal. If we have this knowledge it is because god has shone his light into our hearts we heard the gospel and the holy spirit graciously illumined our understanding he helped us see what we otherwise could not see who jesus is and our profound need for him he pressed jesus claims upon our hearts he convicted us of our sin and of his righteousness and we received this knowledge we Laid hold of it, we believed and God saved us. God granted to us eternal life. God turned us right around. If we are a Christian, we have this treasure in our possession. It's in our hearts. We know God. Before I bring this message to a close, we must notice the context here we have to think for a moment about why Paul talks about having this treasure in jars of clay. Now in this chapter, Paul is talking about himself and about his ministry, which he wasn't comfortable doing. If we were to go back to chapter 3, we would see that Paul's credentials were being called into question by some at the church in Corinth, and perhaps some were questioning his motives as well. And so Paul goes to some length to explain himself, to explain his ministry and his Methods in verse 5, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, we're not out there talking about ourselves, we're not preaching our own ideas, this is not about us. But we preach Christ Jesus the Lord, or as some translations put it, we preach Christ Jesus as Lord, that He is the Lord. So the context is gospel ministry. Paul's mission was to proclaim the message of Jesus, to, as it were, hold up the treasure and hold it out to others. His ministry was not about himself. And to ensure that it wasn't about himself... To ensure that the focus and the attention and the praise and the glory went where it was supposed to go, he understood that God had put the treasure in a clay pot. Notice the last part of verse 7. But We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The expression "the excellency of the power" means something like the exceeding greatness of the power. Uh, this is not the power of a Morris mini-minor. This is the roar of a V8. <laughs> this is not a single match. This is a stick of dynamite. This is surpassing power. This is the power evident in the ministry of the apostles the power to preach and teach, the the power to change the hearts and lives of men and women, to raise them from death to life, the power that caused people to turn from idols to the one true and living God, from being people whose lives were characterized by the works of the flesh into people whose lives were filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That was some power. And because the apostles were jars of clay, ordinary men, that power had to have been from God. It was his power, not their power. They couldn't change the hearts and lives of men and women, no matter how clever or persuasive or committed they might have been. Now, brothers and sisters, gospel ministry is about the treasure and not about the container in which it is kept. It's God who shines into the hearts of men and women to enlighten them to to the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We are so blessed to have seen this, to possess this knowledge. This has been our salvation, and, and now our job is really to get out of the way. Now, of course, God uses means we know that. He uses people to preach the gospel, to build up his church. But I think you understand what I'm saying. We don't want people to marvel at the container. We want them to see what's in it. We want them to marvel at the treasure. And so let's be careful not to insert self into our ministry. Let's make sure we're serving Jesus for the right reasons. If we remember that we're just a clay pot, uh, we won't be so upset when things don't go our way or when people don't thank us. We won't be so disappointed when church leaders make decisions that we don't agree with. We'll be able to say, hey, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about Jesus. Now, I'm very blessed to serve the Lord with a wonderful team of people. We have a great church. God is doing something very special in our midst. So let's remember what we are and let's press on for him. Amen.